0: Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. I'm often intrigued by the uh, Bible stories that somehow end up in the nursery and become fanciful tales for young imaginations, but in the process they somehow lose their revelatory and prophetic nature and impact that they have for us as adults. This generation of parents, and I think I'll include many generations of parents, have are wary and exceptionally aware of the damage that continuous exposure to violence and violent acts can do to children's minds and spirits. So we're very careful about what they watch, and we're very careful about what they read, and we're very careful about so many things. Meanwhile, as the story goes, we buy them replicas of Noah's Ark to put into the nursery, and we have uh, the stories of Jonah and the whale. And um, we forget that, as the story goes, uh, for except for in Noah, except for Noah and his family. Every man, woman, and child, as well as everything created, is wiped off the face of the earth. We forget that part until the child begins to ask, why are there two by two? And sometimes we forget the rest of the story ourselves as adults. But don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say that we should teach that whole story to our small children. We teach children the stories piece by piece, and we begin with... Actually, not the outside, but the centerpiece. The centerpiece of that story meaning God loves you. That's where we start. And then we piece together and we, and we put the layers on it of the whole story. So I have no issue with the child's version of scripture for children. But the scriptures are meticulously crafted and filled with purpose. And the primary purpose of all scripture is to reveal its revelation, to reveal who God is and who we are in relationship with God and how this thing works, this thing of being here on this earth as created people. So as we come to this rather strange story, put aside your childhood notions about what you know about Jonah. And let's begin to be open to what we can learn about God and about ourselves. We come to Jonah 3, 1 through 5 and 10, and 9 and 10. Now, in this particular scripture, we're, we're not going to be talking about the belly of the whale. We're not going to be talking about the, the uh, plant that hangs over Noah and then dies. I mean, uh, Jonah and dies. We're going to be talking about another uh, piece of it, and we'll flesh that out. But just know this, just as you heard in the time for children, there was a great resistance on the part of Jonah to doing what God has asked him to do. And it's a rather strange reason why he resists it. Because he, in fact, thinks that God will do what God says he'll do. So we come to Jonah 3, 1 through 5, verses 9 and 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 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three-days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. Who knows, the king of Nineveh said. God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we don't perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. So the book of Jonas is kind of hard to classify. Is it a fable? Is it a farce? Is it serious history, or is it salacious satire? Or is it with a combination of a life-saving fish and a misplaced psalms and a repentant cow, a lot of all of these things? And what is this one passage doing, plopped in the middle of the lectionary right after Epiphany? How does this all make sense? And then the question that we ask ourselves is who is this light shining? Who is this particular passage shining light on? Is it shining light on the Ninevites? Is it shining light on the prophet? Is it shining light on God? And at the heart of the passage is the question that's posed by the king in verse 9 who knows who knows the true character of this strange god who rules over the waves and over the creatures over and under these waves who inspires sacred songs that we can find in jonah too even the lips of those running away from god who worries over desert bushes and over great cities and over those who sent we're sent to be stewards and witnesses to both. Who knows this God? So we asked the question of the three main players. We asked the question of the Ninevites, of Jonah and of God. One of the um, favorite jokes of the scripture is the unexpected faithfulness of the outsider. the other, the enemy. Anyone that, that is familiar with the characters of Balaam and Ruth and the Good Samaritan, you recognize the residents of Nineveh as a stock character for that outsider. In contrast to the insider, Jonah, who hears God's word and repeatedly disobeys it. When God ordered him to go to Nineveh and tell them there to shape up and get saved, well... The expression on Jonah's face was that of a man who just got a whiff of trouble with his septic tank. I, I'm not kidding. He was so upset with God for asking him to do that. And basically what he says is, God, no way. You're, I know you. You're merciful. You're kind. You're going to forgive them. And Jonah is making the point, and And that's not fair. That's not right. In the first place, the Ninevites were foreigners, and they were kind of off his beat as a prophet. And in the second place, far from getting from wanting to see them get saved, nothing would have pleased Jonah more than for them to get what he thought they had coming to them. The Ninevites hear now. This is a pastor's dream come true. The Ninevites hear a one-sentence sermon, one sentence. And with no mention of God, by the way, from Jonah. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And what happens? The Ninevites repent. Not only the Ninevites. The king, the people, and the scriptures say the cattle. So everything in Nineveh repented. And surely all through scripture, this is our, one of our first lessons all through scripture, the key to faithfulness is responsiveness. It's not what, it's not what you were doing, being devout and piet, full of piety, full of righteousness. It's responding to the word of God. Surely, we remember Abraham and Sarah who are called to go. We remember the fishermen who are called to just drop everything and go with Jesus. They were the faithful. But here it's not the insider. It's not Jonah who can, by the way, another lesson from Jonah can recite Israel's sacred songs by heart. Go back and read Jonah. It's only a couple of chapters. But, say, but Jonah, too, he can recite all the, the sacred songs of Israel by heart. But it's not him that knows the heart of God, it's the Ninevites, the foreigners the enemies who hear God's voice and believe. And even more, they put their beliefs into action. And though they stand outside the special revelation available to God's people in Israel, they act the part of the faithful. You know, that's kind of interesting when I I have experienced when there is a catastrophe in a situation where the non-believers, the non-Christians, the non, who rush to the aid of those around them. And oftentimes, the faithful stay at a distance. Isn't that interesting? But now we know it's an ancient story. Now we know that that doesn't happen just once. That's an ancient disposition of those who have come to know themselves as being the righteous. Jonah is really the best player of the unfaithful insider since Israel was wandering around in the desert. And and though it becomes quite clear that Jonah really knows God, in in, uh, the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 2, he says, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. This is what he says about God when he gives God the reason he doesn't want to tell the Ninevites. Because I know you, God. You're you're just such a pushover. We know that Jonah is familiar with the heart of God, with the heart of the Lord's revelation to Israel. And he continuously acts as if he doesn't know what God is up to. He attempts to run from God, who is inescapable. He preaches destruction, and he preaches it unattached to God's mercy and justice. Now, that's strange. He doesn't say, God loves you all and doesn't want you to be doing this. And so now repent. He just says, 40 days. 40 days, and this place is going to be gone. He celebrates deliverance belonging to the Lord in one instance, the, the instance of the Jews, but then he resents it when God tries to give it to the outsider, the Nineveh. The one who knows the Lord acts as if he doesn't, and the ones who don't know the Lord act as if they do. So who really knows the Lord? That's an interesting question. And there's a theme that constantly runs through the scriptures. Some see it as a threat, And for me, I just see it more as a reality of who God is. If God's special people that God has chosen fail to trust the promises of the Lord and fail to obey what God has has given them to do, then God will go out and pull people off the street and God will get God's job done. And we can either get on board, or, or in the old saying, we either get, get on board or get out of the way. Because God will have God's way. Moses, God was tempted after Moses, the incident of the golden calf. And Jesus observes that God can make even stones shout at his arrival if the, God's people won't do it. And when the first list of guests comes out, and makes excuses for the master's banquet, well, a second group of party-goers are invited in. And if it's difficult for the Lord to uh, forgive the Ninevites, I wonder how Jonah could miss the point that it would be so costly for God to forgive God's own people for their rigidness and bitterness. And yet right here, the who knows, posed by the king of Nineveh, who knows this Lord, this God, becomes an ongoing question even in the heart of God. How far can God's love and mercy extend? I think that, honestly, in this particular passage, it suggests that God isn't even sure at that point because God's mercy and compassion are so extended that God chooses to allow that mercy and compassion to have their way. And the beauty of it as it keeps rippling out again and again and again is so, is so powerful to comprehend. God has first had mercy on Jonah by setting him free from the belly of the whale, In chapters 1 and 2. So God is a God of deliverance. Even toward his rebellious children. God next shows mercy toward Jonah. By speaking to him a second time. This is after Jonah has disobeyed. And at the beginning of chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Saying. So the God of the scriptures is a God of second chances. A God of deliverance and a God of second chances. God speaks once, and then God speaks again. Finally, in chapter 4, the Lord will provide Jonah with a third word. A third time. I mean, even as parents, you say, I'm not going to tell you one more time. You know, I've already told you twice. One, two. You know, we hear that coming out of our mouths, and yet we don't hear that coming out of God's mouth. We hear God saying, now, let's, let's look at this again. Let's give this another shot. So finally in chapter 4, the Lord provides Jonah with an enacted parable, which actually should help Jonah see how the Lord is concerned with. And the Hebrew word here for concerned is hus. And hus is better translated as compassion. So the Lord is compassionate. Not only with desert shrubs and Ninevites, but with a reluctant witness such as Himself, that God is gracious even to those of us who are reluctant or embarrassed or shy or doubting or all of those other things that go in with at peace and parcel sometimes to our faith. The God of Scriptures is a God of compassion and mercy. And maybe the main joke of, and gospel in this strange book of Jonah is the sense that in this wonderful experience, God doesn't allow God's self to know how far reaching it can go simply because it's delightful when it happens. It's wonderful. Especially when it comes to, part, to sticking with God's particular people that God has chosen. I don't think anyone could question or blame the Lord for simply demolishing the city. After all, God's done that before. Why not do it here? And maybe even leaving Jonah in the belly of the fish, he kind of deserved it. He could just appoint another prophet and and let Jonah just stew in his anger in in the fish's belly. But here is the one place that the Lord doesn't change and doesn't change God's minds the God of scripture sticks with those that God has chosen sticks with them no matter what the covenant people like Jonah in Israel like the elder brother in Jesus parable and like the early church maybe like our church or you and me for that matter God sticks with those that God has chosen Nevertheless, whatever goals we may establish for ourselves, by whatever creeds we live, wherever we think we're headed, this story reminds us that we should not be surprised by a sudden change in direction. Jonah heads out for Tarshish and ends up in Nineveh. The once proud and powerful king of Nineveh takes off his royal robe and puts on a sackcloth. And even God changes God's mind about the fate of the city. We shouldn't be surprised when our life takes a change in direction. Everyone in the room repents, including God. God says, I'm not going to kill you after all. I'm going to save you. And the story of Jonah affirms the character as God is being persevering and responsive, and merciful to all of those that repent, and merciful, honestly, to even those who don't. The story of Jonah affirms for us this nature and person of God. And while the Assyrian city of Nineveh, which today is Mosul, is being portrayed as the focus of this prophecy, it's really the nation of Israel, portrayed by the postures and the responses of Jonah that's being warned that its narrow and bitter attitude is a rejection of the God of their fathers, that the people of Israel cannot reject all all the rest of the world. They have to be about God's business. As the chosen people who should be the light to the nations, they should rejoice with its mission not merely out of self-interest or what's going to happen to us if we don't, but out of fulfillment of a divine command. And so what about us? What about us? We do what we do because the Lord commanded us to do it, just like Jonah. We do what we do with hearts full of compassion and mercy because that is what Christ, our Savior, has taught us, the way to walk this path. And the good news doesn't stop there because, friends, when, when we don't do that, when we stumble around and we bumble the gospel, when the good news is that even when we are rebellious, we're headstrong and we're arrogant, God speaks to us a new word, and that new word makes us brand new. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We thank you, God, that you speak a word to us and we have another chance to grow and to be deep with you, to love you and to be in love and be loved by you. And so, God, we pray that we not only learn the lessons from the Characters and events and stories that you give us in scripture. But that we deeply learn you. In the deepest part of ourselves. So that we might preach with, with not only with boldness. But with a confidence in your mercy and your compassion. And also that we might preach. Out of a knowing that your love extends to all people in all places. Give us the gift of the urgency of the gospel. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.